Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. This is the first of quite a few episodes where I talk about the fancy weaves. I actually don't know at this point how many episodes it's going to take because there is a lot of fanciness going on. Because the fancy weaves are so complex, part of their definition, I'm just going to start talking and try to finish roughly every 20 minutes or so to keep the podcast episodes short, but I honestly have no idea how many uh, episodes it will take to talk about the fancy weaves because they're pretty fancy. Let's start with just the definition of what makes a fancy weave or a complex weave in that category. The gist is that there's some sort of design or effect on the surface of the fabric that was created when the fabric was woven that's inherent to the fabric structure, but that isn't as simple as a whale or a float, right? So plain weaves are done with very simple basic looms. Basic weaves are done with basic looms, and we don't have designs or effects. Things like little diagonal stripes or crosswise ribs do not count as designs. They're just features on the surface of the fabric. So the fancy weave tree is pretty complicated. Uh, We have what are called figured weaves, which have two subcategories, the dobby weave and the jacquard weave. I'll also have to talk about lino weaves, which have an effect inherent to the surface, although it's not pretty or anything. It's just very interesting. We have pile weaves. We have multi-compositional weaves. I'm just going to touch on the double fabrics, not really on the laminates or quilted fabrics. Um, So that isn't done in weaving. That's done in in a different way. Uh, And then I'll also talk about uh, textured weaves. So crepes, seersuckers, that sort of thing. And I think the main thing to think about is that all of this huge variety of effects or designs that we can create in weaving are the result of ingenuity in improvements, mechanical improvements in the basic loom. So at a certain point, we started getting really clever and coming up with all different ways to operate these looms. And in fact, as I've said before, our cleverness with these looms are what started uh, the cleverness with all sorts of things, including computers. Let's go ahead and start with the figured weaves. And the figured weaves are, uh, will basically have a design that looks like something, a figure, right? So maybe it's a leaf, maybe it's a flower, maybe it's literally a person, right? But there's some kind of design. And very often, these figured weaves are, the design is being created not using different colors, although we can do that, but by contrasting t- uh, luster, right, or, or surface uh texture. So we'll actually set it up so that we can do a plain weave or a twill weave or a satin weave or some other type of weave. And depending on uh, which direction the floats are going, which direction the whales are going, we create differences in light. So we could be using all one color. Think of like uh, a white tablecloth that if you look closely, you realize has big roses in it. But the roses are still white. They're part of the fabric and they're being created by kind of a difference in the reflection of light. 
And so if we look at a design to plan out a figured weave, we'll see that it might use colors in the design, but the colors actually represent, oh, this black square is for where we're going to do the twill weave, and this white square is where we're going to do the satin weave. And so in fact, the square doesn't represent one yarn, it may represent uh, several yarns, right? If, if to do a satin, you need at least five yarns in a row, right? So it may represent six yarns or, or 12 yarns. So a little effect is being done in that area. We were first able to do this uh, very primitively using technology that's actually very similar to uh, like a, a mechanical player piano or um, a, a little music box, right? So if we have some uh, rotating part that has little sticks coming out and or nails, then we can use those nails to pull different levers. And in fact, when I took students to Harriet Watt in Galashiels in Scotland, the students who did the weaving uh, study abroad there, they actually took little boards and hammered nails into the little boards in uh, the order that they wanted the different harnesses to be raised. And then they inserted these little boards into a slot on the side. And then when they pushed down with the pedal, the pedal actually used all of the nails to lift the harnesses in the correct order. So they were actually planning out their weave, thinking it through, designing it on the grid, and then just literally using nails to make it work. And we would call this type of weave, these very small repetitive geometric designs using a simple system like this, we call them Dobby weaves. And Dobby looms will have between 16 and 25 harnesses typically. And so we'll have a little board that has between 16 and 25 little nails in it. And uh, each time you step on the pedal, a different board is um, rotated into position and presses against the levers that direct the loom to lift one or other harnesses. And so it's actually pretty mathematical. I'm not even going to bother explaining it in a podcast format uh, to figure out how to plan uh, how you would pound these nails into the boards in order to lift the harnesses in the right way. I want you to trust me at this point that what this results in is the ability to make a plain weave for, you know, five or ten yarns to make a twill weave for the five or ten yarns next to them and or a satin weave for the five or ten yarns next to them. And so we could make little squares, we could make, um, we could have uh, triangular shapes, we can have diamond shapes, right? We can't do any kind of curving shapes because we're still doing these in plain twill and satin which depend on these kind of geometric progressions uh, so we're not just manipulating one uh, yarn at a time we're manipulating them in little groups but uh, these small uh, repeating motifs were a, a, a huge advancement and uh, so when Dobby weaves uh, started occurring I'm going to just say roughly Renaissance era, then um, we were really uh, able to do a lot more interesting things in the surface of fabrics. The fabrics, as I said before, very often can just be all one color, in which case we're depending on the reflection of light, right? Or we could actually have different colored yarns. So we could have uh, some of the warp yarns that are a different color, or we could have some of the filling yarns that are a different color. And again, maybe we have a little section where we uh, 
program the Dobby loom to do uh, warp face satin in that small area and then suddenly the warp yarns are really highlighted and revealed so if there was a certain section that had some warp yarns that were a certain color they would suddenly stand out and then we could do uh, filling satin right above it and then uh, those uh, warp yarns are now hidden, right? And so then we end up with a little spot of color that flares up and disappears right away afterwards. We will use spun or filament yarns, natural or manufactured fibers. Uh, we can do some really interesting effects where we can have uh, raised areas. And I think the really important thing to know is I'm not gonna be teaching you any, mostly any, many names of Dobby fabrics because most Dobby weave fabrics don't have a name. You could look through, and I did actually get to do this once. Uh, I went to uh, Philadelphia University, which is in Philadelphia, and was the textile university for the United States because Philadelphia was basically like the Paris of America back in the olden days, uh, the fashion capital before New York, uh, all the money uh, moved it there. But uh, uh, in Philadelphia, we have this textile university and uh, it's now just called Philadelphia University instead of Philadelphia Textile University. And in their special collection at their library, you can pull down from the shelves. Well, they get it for you and put it on a special table and you put on gloves. But you can look through book after book after book of samples of Dobby weaves that were woven by the uh, craftsmen who lived in Philadelphia and they're there's no point in naming them. They're endless variations of these Dobby weaves. Uh, so we mainly know a Dobby weave when we see it because it will have small repeating ge geometric figures in the surface of the fabric. Uh, there may or may not be uh, the same um, on the front and the back, right? Very often not the same on the front and the back. The geometric figure could be really, really small. It could be larger but uh, we'll be repeating roughly every inch or so. Uh, so the one typical type of Dobby weave that we might see that gets a name is a weave like Huckabuck, which is used for toweling. And this is a raised weave. So every few filling yarns, the warp yarn is actually pulled to one side right? And the other warp yarn is pulled to the other side. Uh, this is another attachment that was added to the loom that can create this raised effect and then woven down in this new spot and then let go immediately afterwards. And it, it makes a diagonal line on the surface of the fabric, which creates a little lump, right? So we end up with this kind of lumpy fabric. Diaper cloth is in fact uh, a type of, of dobby weave, uh, kind of a bit lumpy and used because it's absorbent. So huckabuck, I'm not going to make you learn, um, uh, you know, think about the word diaper, but it is a type of weave. Um, so huckabuck, that sounds much more fun. Let's talk about huckabuck. Another thing that we could do with uh, the dobby weave is something called PK weaving. And PK weaving is where we actually uh, have uh, separate warp yarns that or filler yarns that are um, uh, uh, run on the back side of the fabric and uh, so that they uh, we would often put big fat thick ones and then the fabric is woven on top of them um, and uh, I know this, this seems kind of complex, but the idea is that the, the warp yarn is never actually woven in with the other filling yarns. It always just sort of floats right below it, right? So, the, so it's never raised, right? It's always left down below. Um, but every so often it's raised in order to, to have a, um, 
a float go across the back of it just to keep it attached to the fabric. So this yarn that's mostly never woven into the surface, uh, never shows on the front side, it would always only show on the back and is only every so often woven in is called a stuffer yarn. And then the uh, floats are the yarns that go across the back and hold it. We can do these uh, raised, and they're called whales because like a twill, it's like a, a raised line on the surface of the fabric. They're going to go in either the lengthwise or the crosswise direction, so unlike a twill. And uh, so Bedford Cord is an example of a fabric that has these stuffer yarns that you can see on the back, but on the front, all you can see is it's kind of got these curved ribs uh, that go in the warp direction of the fabric. We might have the stuffer yarns go from side to side, and a very popular one is called Bird's Eye PK. Um, Bird's Eye is where the stuffer yarn actually wiggles up and down a little bit, right? So we use the floats to sort of shove it up, and then we shove it down, and it creates this ripple surface on a, of, of a whale, this sort of rippling whale on the surface of the fabric, which ends up, I guess, looking like a bird's eye. And uh, so this was just when somebody invented this, everybody was so impressed. Everybody had to have it for their upholstery in their, you know, 1820s parlor. Uh, and these um, PK with this extra stuffer yarn on the back are um, uh, very often used for interior, for upholstery fabric. Because we can have this idea of like extra yarns that are just included every so often, right? Because we can um, qu quickly run a little plain weave and then have it be a satin weave and have them not be included. Uh, we can use it to bring a pop of color to the surface, right? And so we would call this extra yarn insertion if the goal isn't to make, have the yarn be fat, but to have the yarn be to have it have a color, then um, these extra yarns woven in in certain spots, so it could also be called a spot weave, are uh, like a little pop of color. Interestingly, they figured out that they could have this extra yarn floating on the surface of the uh, fabric and woven in every so often, and then otherwise just being an incredibly long float, and then if they trimmed it on the surface, the edges where they cut, right? So if it was, it was like plain weave for two or three yarns, and then it was a really long float, and then it was plain weave for two or three yarns, they would cut it right next to the plain weave spot, and the loose ends would stick up and form a sort of fuzzy little spot in the surface of the fabric. This was called dotted Swiss, because I think apparently the Swiss came up with this particular innovation. So if we put the extra yarn on the front and cut it, we can have a little spot on the surface. If we put the extra yarn on the back, then we probably aren't going to cut it. We're just going to have the long floats in the back, typically then used for upholstery because those floats would snag on hands and fingers if you tried to wear it. Uh, if we have the floats going in the warp direction and have the the extra yarn um, in uh, kind of a line, we get what's called eyelash, right? So literally we can cut those extra yarns and it forms kind of a little line that's of yarns that are sticking up where they were cut out of the fabric and it looks kind of like an eyelash. I really want you to Google eyelash fabric and dotted Swiss just to see what those look like. Or if you have a kit, you'll be able to see them in there. So um, if it's uncut, then it will be on the back side, right? But it can be in the warp or fill direction. And if it's cut, then the floats would have been on the front side and those would have been in the warp or fill direction. There's just endless variety 
Eyelash and Dotted Swiss are just the two that I know of that have names. All right, I promised I would try to keep these podcasts equidistant in length, and we've already talked for about 15 minutes. I've only covered one. See how uh, complicated this is going to get? So let's wrap it up, and in the next episode, I'll talk about jacquard weaves. Thank you.